without that understanding, if you're just looking for love from God the Father, <laughs> you're just a teddy bear God, you know, yeah. you're never going to be a real man. And if you're just a dad or a man who's hardline, rigid, all discipline, your kids are going to rebel. Your wife is going to resist you, uh, reject you. You are not going to be the man that you're called to be because you're trying to over control. The key here is to receive the discipline and love from the Lord so that you can express love in that way. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. We're blessed that you're here and hopefully back uh, for more. We are uh, blessed to bring this to you. We really enjoy this and we're thankful for your time. We are your hosts. I'm John Heinen. We've got Sam Guzman and we've got Devin Shaw. If you haven't listened to the last few episodes, I encourage you to go back and check them out. There's some great ones. Uh, but we've got a new co-host on our show and that's Devin. Uh, Devin is the executive director of Father St. Joseph. He's a close friend. He's been a friend of The Catholic Gentleman for uh, many years and we've had him on uh, the the show previously, but we are blessed uh, to dialogue together, us three, on a weekly basis. So, Devin, how are you doing? Hey, good, good. I'm just full of Halloween candy. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> are we? Are we all? Um, and, and so, Sam, you're not left out. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, staying warm. It's finally chilly here in Oklahoma. So, yeah, Texas here as well, and we've got the World Series on. By the time this episode airs, we'll see if the Rangers won first time uh, in the World Series. So for those of our baseball fans out there, live in Dallas-Fort Worth, and so that's pretty exciting. Um, so just uh, jumping in here, we have got a great uh, sponsor for the episode, Catholic Woodworker. We're going to talk about him more later. And if you like what we're talking about, I encourage you to head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus, where this episode is going to have two times the more content inside of Catholic Gentleman Plus, where we're going to dialogue about this topic of respect today in more detail over at Catholic Gentleman Plus. Every single week, we have got uh, this episode that gets into a longer edition on Catholic Gentleman Plus, plus we have monthly sessions coming out, free eBooks, and it supports the Catholic Gentleman so we can continue our ministries, and we appreciate it. If you head over there and check it out, see if it's right for you, help you more strategically grow in masculinity. So today, we wanted to talk about respect. Why do some men have it and others don't? And how do you get respect? But we need to understand this rightly. And actually, so while thinking about this, we get this question often, right? So that's a question that comes to us is, you know, what's the church's opinion of respect? Or, you know, what do you guys think of respect? And I think a lot of that has to do with maybe our the name, Catholic gentleman, right? There's a certain degree of, of what your outward appearance looks like that makes you a gentleman, you know, how you act and how you um, hold yourself up and stuff that, that comes into being a, uh, a gentleman. And is that an end in itself? Or is there something deeper in that, right? And that question kind of comes to us. I also think we get bombarded today. There's a barrage of, of self-help guides and GQ magazines, this, that, and the other of how to dominate the presence, your presence in the room, and how to command respect from other people. And we see that a lot. And then I think on a deeper level, there's also kind of the relational aspect of who we are as human beings, creating the image and likeness of God. And and so I wanted to just pass over to you, Devin, and think, why why do you feel like we get this amount of these questions on respect? Why is this so important for men today? Well, fundamentally, I think that, so let's just put it this way. W women's core need is to be secure in love, whereas a man's core need 
is actually to be respected, properly speaking. And we need to get into that, what that really means. But what I mean by this is if you look at the surveys, I think we've talked about this before. It's shown that when men are asked, which would you rather have, love or respect, they are like, hey, it's the same thing. So respect is a big deal to men because respect has everything to do with honor and admiration. And what man doesn't want to be honored and admired? I mean, I think of, you know, Gladiator, the very opening scene when Maximus Decimus Meridius, he's flying yeah. down with his troops and he's strength and honor, strength and honor. Who doesn't want strength and honor? What we're talking about is respect. And so it's just kind of instinctual to us men to desire that honor and to de desire that admiration. But though God has made us for that because he wants us to be magnanimous, that's great souled, great minded for him. What can happen is the devil can twist that up and he can get us to seek vainglory very easily. And this is, mm -hmm. this is, this is the dilemma. If we get this wrong, we lose our salvation mm -hmm. because we make ourselves our own God. If we get this wrong, we lose God's favor, his blessing, and we lack the peace of having a filial relationship with him. And in the end, though it appears that we have the respect of men in our own mind, we can end up in a meaningless, shallow, uh, earthly existence. And ultimately, it all unravels in the end. So that's what's at stake, I think. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Sam, when you're thinking about respect and why you've received this question so many times um, here at The Catholic Gentleman, what occurs to you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, I think, yeah, this need is as old as time, right? Like, I think that, like Devin's saying, this goes back, it's kind of a primal need for men. Um, but I think why this question comes up so much in modern society really goes back to this father-son relationship that I think is so wounded in our culture today. There's so many fatherless homes, as we've discussed many times, there's 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 a wound between fathers and sons where sons want to be affirmed as men. They want to be welcomed into the society of men, but it can't be a free pass. It can't be something that's done just by default. Oh, you're 18 now. The new 18, I guess, is 21. You're 21 now. You know, you're a man. Uh, <laughs> it can't be that simple. It can't be just a biological reality. We have mm. to feel that we've proven ourselves in some way, passed some test to be kind of received into this greater society of men. Um, and yet there's, there's as we've, you know, I discussed in the Catholic Gentleman book, and I know Devin's discussed in his writing, like there's no initiatory experiences for men anymore. There's no more test to pass. Um, and because there's absentee fathers and there's there's a lack of male mentors in society today, as a result, there's a huge amount of insecure men. Biologically, they may be fully adults, uh, but inside, there's still that insecure little boy asking himself, what do I have to do? What do I have to do to prove myself? You know, who's going to tell me I've arrived? You know, and, and there's that hunger that remains. Um, and so I think while this is a primal need for men and like it's been there, you know, for centuries, millennia, like I think in our society, especially men are insecure. They're, they're doubting themselves. 
because there, there's that lack of mentoring figures, there's that lack of father figures, and there's that lack of initiatory experiences, if you will, those challenges that help us know for a fact that we've arrived. And I'll, I'll just say one last thing is like the traditional societies knew how to do this and it wasn't forced, it wasn't fake, um, but they had tests that you had to pass to be to become a man. Um, and some of them were incredibly grueling. Uh, and if you pass these grueling tests in uh, the suffering they involved and the con- confrontation with fear that they involved, and you came out the other side of that, yes, other people would affirm you, but you would also have this inner sense of security that no, even if someone was disrespecting you, it didn't matter what that, that person said, you knew that you were a man because you had come out the other side of this kind of furnace of suffering and confrontation with fear and doubt and all these things. And no one can take that away from you. If you feel secure in yourself and you knew that you've passed the test, that does a whole different level. Like you don't even need that external validation as much. So all that to say, like we don't have those experiences anymore and men are suffering as a result with this doubt and insecurity and I think that's why people email us all the time. I'm like, what do I need to do? Tell me how, tell me, what, tell me when I've arrived. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that's, that I really appreciate you bringing that home because I think that when I was reflecting on this, there's, there's a certain disease, um, I almost said disease, um, a fun slip there, but uh, that if I, if I get respect, then I'll be noticed, right? Then I'm not going to be overlooked. Then I'm going to, my identity is going to be validated, right? And that's what you're talking about, that father wound, right? <laughs> is that um, we haven't been, our identity hasn't been validated. We haven't been affirmed as a man by a father, you know, and maybe it's our biological father, or maybe it's our misunderstanding um, of a spiritual father or God the Father. But nevertheless, our identity has been found in vainglory. Our identity has been found in things of this world and in others' admiration or validation or affirmation and respect of us. And we we unknowingly put ourselves in that place very often. I know, and just thinking when I was in high school, this was for sure the case. I mean, my identity was defined by how well I did in school. And I had to be the best at every single class I did, but it wasn't because I loved learning. It was because I loved winning and I loved being validated by all those around me. That immaturity was there. And I never had the tool set of how to see through that and how to understand Mm -hmm. that, no, you're missing the mark because your identity is a son of God and um, he loves you unconditionally. And he's always there for you. And our goal is to form ourselves to his will so that we can better love and better experience that love. So I really appreciate, Sam, that you you brought us right into that, that father wound because I do think that that has a huge part of it today because we're looking to the world for direction. We're looking to the world for advice. And now with Google and smartphones at our fingertips, we have a plethora of information that can give us these false uh, hoods or these false identities, um, um, ma- you know, masked as truth. Yeah. Yep. And if you're just on that note of the father wound and the link between the son, the human father and the heavenly father, respect at its core in the Latin, it's re, which is to 
either regard, but then you've got specere, which means to see. So literally it's to see again. And so every young boy grows up looking at the strongest, the most important man in his life, his dad. And he says, I want that guy to see me because I respect him so much. I admire him so much. If he just sees me and approves me, then I I will be respected. I will be honored. And this is precisely the problem is that even dads who are actually trying to father, they're not seeing their children. And one of the ways that we can actually see our children is we're talking about these initiating rights. My dad grew up on a farm, you know, and being on the back of a, of a trailer, picking up single-handedly uh, bales of hay, you know, out in the summer heat off of the ground with one hand and putting them on those trailers. And you did that all day long. That was an initiating right. Or you've yeah. got a horse, a horse that's not broken in and it's running around and you've got to stop it. I mean, I remember my dad telling me a story that my grandpa, this this horse is running around. My uncle is falling off both sides because it's not broken in and it looks like he's going to die. And my grandpa just gets right in front of it like he's going to die. And he just stands right in front of it. The horse kicks back and he settles down. That's a guy who's been through that many times, right? And so we're looking to these mentors to teach us these things. But I think that you're right. At the core of it, we've got to figure out our identity as sons of God. And until we figure that out, we will never have anybody else's respect because we can't respect ourselves. Devin, I know that we've got a lot of great points or rules for us men to guide. And so I'd like to pivot this conversation to some of these things that we need to remember so that we can actually, quote unquote, gain respect or that we can actually be men worthy right. of respect. Maybe that's a way of, of, of stating it. So Devin, what yeah. would you say one of those first important things is? Yeah, let me lean in a little bit. Um, <laughs> that's good. Um, <laughs> you, you noticed no. the nod and I'm grateful for you picking up on that. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think rule number one is this. If you look to men, human beings, for respect and admiration, you are already not respectable because you are tr- if you have already missed the mark. Because as Jesus says, I do not receive glory from men. Okay? And, and I think Paul says in Ephesians, there is no respect to persons with God. God is no respecter of persons. So the point is, is that human respect is shifting sand upon which no man should build his house. Because here's what happens. This is a danger of saying, I'm going to get everybody's respect. I want human respect, and that will elevate me. This is the problem. Mm. Because our identity leads to our destiny. Who we are determines who we become. Mm. Now, if I am dependent on human respect, everybody loves me today. But then tomorrow, they don't like what I've said, how I dress, my house isn't up to the level of theirs, whatever it is. And then I shift my identity to fit their liking. So I dress a little differently. I speak a little differently. I give the head nod, whatever yeah. it is. I do it according to their what they like. And then I'm I'm great again. Now I've got their respect. Now I'm respectable, but then that shifts again. And then yeah. pretty soon after a while, I get I become so removed from my real identity of who God has created me to be that I cannot even achieve my destiny, mm-hmm. nor can I lead others to my destiny. So, so this is the problem. If you are seeking, if I am seeking respect from men, 
actually no respect will be given because everyone knows deep down you're just living to solicitate solicitate that or to get that from other people. So then that leads into the next, I think the next rule, um, which before is, we get there, oh, I just okay. want to, I want to <laughs> jump in because there's a, there's a quote here that immediately resonated right when you said that it's a quote that we posted at the, at, on the Catholic gentleman a few times by Thomas Moore, where um, I might've taken it away from Sam. I don't know if he had that same thought, but <laughs> I do not care very much what men say of me, provided that God approves of me. And well, when we hear St. Thomas Moore say that there's a part of us, it's like, absolutely. But I, I need to ask, is that part because you're frustrated with seeking validation of other people, but but you still haven't broken off of that? I know that would have been me, um, you know, uh, a decade ago. I definitely would have hit, you know, been like, yes, exactly. Who cares what everybody thinks about me as long as, <laughs> you know, and again, it's, 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 it's sort of comforting. But then be the man that Thomas More was. Be the man that truly lives and breathes and prays and exists uh, to do the will of God, do the will of the Father to uh, submit and understanding that union with him is the pathway forward. So uh, before we move on to the next one, uh, Sam, you kind of already mentioned this, but the idea of um, of not looking to other men for respect and admiration, because right then and there is, is a first misstep along the road to respect. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, yeah. God is your audience, you know, and a bunch mm -hmm. of saints have said this same thing in different ways, but like God, God is not, he's the one we're trying to please. He's the, he's the one we're trying to please other people. Yeah. They're fickle. One minute you're their hero. The next minute they're trying to lynch you and burn you down. Like, and that's just the way of the world. Um, and, and so the ironic thing is the more that you seek to please God alone, the more you will be someone that the people in the world that that matter uh, will will respect. Um, mm. You know, I, I think of very you know holy people that I know, and I respect them tremendously. But I know they don't care what I think. So <laughs> it's a it's a wonderful thing. Um, and, but they yeah, it's like they're they're trying to please God alone, and I think that's that's our ultimate is our, our ultimate goal is to please God our Father, um, and. If he says someday to you, well done, good and faithful servant, all the respect from human beings in the world won't matter one bit. You right. know, that's what you're striving for is that well done, good and faithful servant. Um, and, and if you live with that in mind, everything else will fall into place. Yeah. Um, and it's sometimes I, I just want to add one, one last thing. It's like the world may think you're a fool. They may be like, why are you striving for that? Like, why aren't you upgrading your house to the, the latest model? Like, why aren't you trying to climb the corporate ladder like everyone else? Like, why aren't you trying to make your first million? Like, what's wrong with you? You know, like you're you're wasting your time, you know, and it might make it might seem foolish in the world's eyes. Um, but you know, the foolishness to the world, you know, is is respect in God's eyes, I think, very many times. Not that we want to act like fools intentionally, but I'm just saying people won't always understand, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, agreed. And I think, Devin, something that you stated that um, back earlier, you mentioned about how like some of these um, false signs of respect, or sorry, false uh, approaches to res gaining respect that the world presents might last for a few years. You know, it might last for a short period of time, right? Because um, they might make us feel good about ourselves for that. But it, when it's based on that sort of 
just strictly humanism, right? When it when it lacks uh, a transcendental, when it lacks somebody higher than yourself to 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 subject yourself to, yeah, you find yourself um, in the same place, if not worse, later on um, down the road. And actually, so what can men do about this? And Devin, I think that's what we're going on to the next rule is that men can actively do something about this, about this right now in their very lives. And what say you to that? (laughs) (laughs) What say you? Well, I, I, I think that it's important to understand that if you are not, if you do not sense that you are being respected, say honored, okay, by your wife, maybe by your children, or maybe those in your church community, if there's just like overwhelmingly this sense that there's just nothing there, then that I do think is an indication that there is something lacking in you. Mm. Unless, of course, you are doing something for the Lord that is radical, that is that is causing a lot of problems and people are just rejecting you and resisting you, okay? That's fine. But what I'm saying is if there is just this sense of you're not you're not worthy of respect, there is something wrong. Okay. And this is point number two, I think, or if we want to call the rule, rule number two is that according to St. Thomas Aquinas, respect and honor is proportional to virtue. Mm. Okay. So he says this, Aquinas does, he says to honor a person is to recognize him as having virtue. So people are honored in two ways for virtue for his own virtue, his own inner life. Like he is working this out. Why? And we know what virtue is. It's an operative habit toward a good end. So a virtuous man is always, he's got the end in mind, which is God's glory, heaven, communion with God, leaning other people to God. That is it. That is his target. He's shooting for that all the time. And that's, he knows that's what's going to bring him happiness. That is his good end. And his virtuous acts, his habitual acts every day, his operational acts, what they're doing is they're shooting for that end. That is developing that great inner life of strength. That's the first thing. Second thing is, is that we do honor people and respect people because of their positions that they hold, right? Yeah. Governors, prelates, but that's because their position is in honor of God by virtue of God. That's we don't re, we don't respect them in a sense for their person, like Peter or Rob, just because Rob is Rob or Peter is Peter, and I like Peter. No, it's because of their position that God has given them to honor God. We honor the dignity of that human being. We love them. We will not disrespect them, abuse them. However. True honor, true respect is always proportional to the person's inner life, their virtue that just comes out. It just, and we'll get to that in a minute, I think, but this is the point. You've got to have it on the inside and that will come out on the outside and people will recognize this. So it's proportional to your virtue. So if you want to really be respectable or be admired and honored for the sake of the Lord, not for yourself. It all begins with your work on virtue. Yeah, and a reverse of that here in Matthew, right, is that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of a mouth that defiles a man. And the same thing, it's not, um, it's it's what, you know, the virtue that we're working on that actually, whatever the opposite of defiles, <laughs> you know, <laughs> grows in virtue, strength, um, like we're talking about, uh, you know, of a man, that there is active things that we can, you know, certainly be doing day in and day out uh, uh, with the end in mind pointed towards the good. So I really appreciate you mentioning that. And I think that this is, this is really key 
and was key for for my understanding of of growth and holiness, of growth in my relationship with God and with others, was the importance of actively practicing virtue and actively working to develop and grow in virtue. So I'm glad that we're taking a little bit moment of talking about this because the man that has that is the man that has character, is the man that has integrity, and is the man that just is respected by others, whether that means anything or not to him, uh, by the mere fact that they are a virtuous, upright man of, and we know virtue, you know, strength, real strength, and, and um, humor me thinking back to that article that we were talking about where fortune favors strength, but his form of strength was not the strength that we're talking about here. So. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. And to say, to say the same thing, maybe in like a slightly different way is I think that what, 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 what leads to self-respect, like what leads to self-acceptance um, that then radiates outwards, I guess I, I would say two, uh, two things come to mind for me one is uh, actualizing your potential i think no one really respects themselves when they know they're capable of so much more you know and this looks different for everybody okay like some people really are like big and strong and athletic okay and they have great skill on you know the soccer field or the baseball diamond or whatever and that's amazing yeah. Like and and seek to develop these skills and gifts that God's giving you, right? This is the parable of the talents, um, and you know, talent was originally a unit of money in the ancient world, but it just coincidentally uh, convenient that it also means talent. <laughs> you know, that, that God has given you certain talents and gifts as part of who He made you to be. And I think you know, like Saint Francis de Sales, what is says, you know, be who you are and be that well, be the best yeah. version of yourself that God made you to be. So if he made you a talented musician, like strive to develop that side of yourself. Like John, you know, like he's like a great trumpet player, right? Like he took that skill that God gave him and he developed it. And it's likewise, like if you're a great mathematician or a computer scientist or, you know, artist or poet, um, don't bury those talents. Don't bury those dreams. Like develop who God made you to be and, and excel at it. You know, and that and excellence doesn't mean, again mean you have to be at the very top of the heap. I mean, there's a lot of competition in the world, you know, musically and in the art world and like and in science and everything. It's okay if you're not number one, but are you the best that you could be, the best that God made you to be? So actualize that potential. And I think um again, not for the respect of the world, but just as a thank you to God for giving you that gift. Thank you, Father. I'm going to multiply this talent that you gave me. The other thing I'll say closely related to what we're talking about with virtue here is an inner sense of integrity. We don't respect ourselves. We can't be confident fully when there's areas of our life that we know are disordered. And this is hard, right? This takes inner work sometimes to bring these parts of ourselves that aren't integrated. Integrity comes from the word integrated, like in these parts of our lives that we know are not integrated. So it's like, I'm a great businessman. I'm a pretty good husband and father, but I have this secret vice of like pornography, or maybe I go on business trips and I just gorge myself on like the finest foods and I'm gaining weight and I see the ill effects of that, but I just can't stop, you know, Mm -hmm. like you can't be confident in yourself. You can't be secure in yourself when you know there's these areas that are just out of sync in your life. Mm. So do the inner work to bring these areas of your life into harmony 
like a choir, like a beautiful choral harmony in your soul. Like find those areas of your life where there's like this dissonance, these notes that just aren't in alignment and prayerfully with God's help, you know, in sacraments and like do the inner work to restore that choral harmony in your soul. And that's what integrity ultimately is. And if you're striving for that, you'll feel so much more secure and and confident and you'll have respect for yourself knowing that there aren't these areas that are just just like, I hope no one finds out about that because man, that would ruin everything. Like if you can just go to sleep with a peaceful conscience every night, knowing your soul's in harmony, what people see is what's actually real. You'll just feel so much more at peace, like so much more secure. And, and then you can really be who you are and, and just rest secure that, that you don't have these deep secrets or skeletons in your closet that someone might discover someday. And, and, um, you know, I think, I think to me, that's like, as that's what inner security looks like radiating outward. Um, and, and it will generate respect from others. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Uh, on that note, that's in fact, that's really powerful. And I think that we have to keep in mind that virtue or the process of growing in virtue is like the wedding at Cana. So we have human virtue, which is that habit, the habitual actions every day where we're we're shooting for a good end, whether it's temperance, sexual purity, just honoring our wives, our children, honoring other people, whatever it is in the proper sense, you know, just being charitable. However, at the end of the day, these guys are filling the jars, 23 gallons with water. And I love what it says in the scripture. It says they filled it to the brim. That means that's analogous to they did it with excellence. They didn't leave any gaps, but this is the key. It's still water. That's the key with human virtue. At the end of the day, it's still just human virtue. It's Jordan Peter. I love Jordan Peterson, but it's just Jordan Peterson kind of virtue. Yeah. But what does Christ do? He sees that you're putting forth the effort and he sees that you're filling it to the brim every day. And then he blesses it and he transforms that to where now your virtue is being sublimated and now you're operating operating on a supernatural level. And this does happen. This is real. I can testify to it because I've got massive limitations, but God does things in our life that blow us away. We look back five years, 10 years, we're like, wow. That's crazy. I did that. No, I didn't do that. God did that through me. Mm -hmm. That's how God works. He loves that participation. So to Sam, what you're saying, yes, amen, amen, amen. But we need to trust that God can elevate our virtue, our human virtue, our efforts to a completely new level. And I challenge anyone in this area, it will happen. Hey everyone, as Padre Pio stated, the rosary is the weapon for our times, which is why I'm incredibly blessed and excited to introduce you to the sponsor of today's episode, The Catholic Woodworker. The Catholic Woodworker makes in beautiful handcrafted custom in America wooden rosaries, they make altarpieces, and a bunch of other things. When the Catholic gentleman needed a partner to create our custom handcrafted rosary, I turned immediately to Jonathan and his team because I knew the quality of work they did, I knew the beauty that they did, and the fact that I personally love wooden rosaries. I love the way they feel. I love that they remind me of the cross of Christ. Um, His are in in particularly uh, durable. I have held this one in my pocket every single day for over two years. 
and it still holds up its strength. I strongly encourage you to check them out. They make great gifts. They also make great rosaries for your own personal use. So head over to catholicwoodworker.com or click on that link in the show note. You'll be glad you did. So now we get to do a great part of the episode, a part that I enjoy doing uh, very much, and that's answering a question from our listeners. So you, as a listener, if you have a question, something that you would like us to answer live here on the show, send it to podcast at catholicgentleman.com. If you want to take your phone, do a quick voice recording and send that. We'll actually play it live here on the show and then answer it. If not, just send it to us and we will read it as such. If you liked what you heard in the previous um, portion of the show, and you want to get more, you want to go twice as deep, and you want to understand more of these rules and understand more of the ways to develop yourself as a man, man, head over to Catholic Gentleman Plus where that full episode and it's hour and 40 minutes is going to be coming out uh, live for you to hear uh, in its entirety and come back to whenever you desire. So the question today, and one question that I am uniquely blessed to have a, um, to be speaking to these men is because we have a mental health counselor, mental health professional on the show. And that question reads as such, is habitual sin considered an addiction? I get conflicting guidance from different priests when going to confession, which has uh, led for me going to confession more than once a week and going to different churches, right? So to avoid uh, one priest, I mean, that's that's a deep question. And it's humorous uh, in the sense that we're talking about habits of virtues, right? Habitual and firm dispositions to do the good as virtues, But here we have is a habitual sin. And when does that sin become an addiction? And when is that that sin, uh, when are we, uh, the culpability, especially if it's of grave matter, is it lessened, right? So this is a really deep question and one we'll likely not be able to go into in its entirety. But I'd love to start with you, Sam, and talk a little bit about the nature of addiction and how an addiction is rightly defined. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's different definitions for addiction, but I would say the closest thing to a nutshell version that I could give would be that it's a a compulsive behavior that is leading to negative consequences in your life. And yet, despite those negative consequences, you can no longer control it or you can no longer stop it. Um, And so we think of obviously the most extreme cases of that People who are addicted to hard drugs like, you know, meth or, or fentanyl is a huge problem in the world today. Um, but there's also behavioral or process addictions that, according to brain scans, have the same exact effect on your brain as those substance use disorders. So, um, you know, gambling addiction, huge problem for a, a huge percentage of the population. You know, but it lights up the same areas of your brain in a brain scan as cocaine or like some of these hard drugs that people keep people coming back. Um, so behavioral addictions, you know, the more you know, clinical term for it being process addictions, um, can be just as enslaving as substance use addictions. Um, and you know, of course, we think of things like sexual addiction, like masturbation, pornography, but but also sexual encounters. People get addicted to these these apps like you know Tinder or things like that where they're they they they're ruining their life. They're getting STDs. You know they're they're maybe losing jobs over sexual harassment, things like that. And yet they can't seem to to stop or like control this behavior. Like this is this is um, that's kind of where it gets into addiction territories. Having negative consequences on your life. Maybe you're ruining your finances or destroying relationships, and yet you can't seem to stop. You know, and like I would say also falling into that category of 
negative harm in your life is your spiritual life. Like you're, you're feeling distant from God. You're just tortured by anxiety and guilt and shame. And yet you keep going back. Uh, like that's perhaps where it's crossing the line into addiction territory. Now, I do want to clarify though, that even if you get the label, clinical label addiction, like that doesn't mean you deny responsibility. Uh, I think this is very important to recognize because I think a lot of people see the label as saying, well, I I just can't help it. So I don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. I can just kind of surrender to this, this enslavement or whatever. Like, I don't think that's, that's true in any way. And even if you look at programs that are tried and true, like the 12 step programs like AA, but there's all kinds of them like sexaholics anonymous or narcotics anonymous, or like there's all kinds of anonymous groups. Now, one of the first things they say is number one, I'm powerless against this. Like that's step one is you have to acknowledge, like I'm powerless. I can't control it anymore. Uh, But, but contrary to what you would think, like acknowledging that powerlessness does not absolve you from responsibility. The rest of the 12 steps is taking full responsibility for something that you have no control over anymore. Mm. Um, And there's various, you know, I don't want to get into all the 12 steps, but the point being that it, Acknowledging that you have an addiction uh, and acknowledging that you're powerless over it does not absolve you from responsibility. On the contrary, that's step one in taking responsibility is acknowledging that you can't control it anymore. Um, And, you know, I'm not saying that AA groups or 12 step groups are the only way by no means, you know, like there's many, many pathways through to healing. Um, But the final thing I'll say is dig deep because almost everyone I've ever encountered with a serious addiction, even though they may tell themselves all kinds of lies and stories, it's driven by pain. Nine times out of 10 it's driven by pain, unresolved pain in your life, traumatic experiences, you know, abuse, neglect, but even in the best situations, like sometimes you're, you're left alone as a kid, you know, your parents are divorced and you got like stress in your life from that. And like, kids are bullying you at school and you're dealing with all this anxiety and like discomfort and like, so your parents leave you home at like 12 years old and that curiosity peaks up and, you know, they get on the internet and Google some term because no one's looking right. Uh, And before you know it, you're sucked into this world of pornography. And anytime you have a bad feeling, whether it's you lose your job at work, you know, you don't make the swimming team, whatever, how do you deal with those negative emotions? You go right back to the one thing that feels like the surefire way to make you feel better fast, but it always has negative repercussions. You feel more guilt, more shame, more self-loathing. And so while it tricks you into thinking you're feeling better, you actually feel worse. So I'm sorry, I don't want to, I don't want to dominate this into like a whole presentation on, on addiction, but, but look for the pain. What's driving this? What are those early experiences that led you to strive to cope in this unhealthy way, you know, and it, and it's enslaved you. It's enslaved you. That's really what addiction is, is, is like a spiritual enslavement to a behavior or substance. Um, and, but there, you can break free There are many pathways to do that. So don't surrender to it. Even if you acknowledge, okay, I have an addiction. That's not the end. That's step one. Um, so. Yeah. Thank you, Sam. No, I appreciate that. And I don't know how much more I could actually add to what Sam already stated, but I do think, you know, in finding different various ways, 
So, and we don't know which sin you're talking about here, right? I'm. Uh, we all fall into habitual sins, sin of gluttony, sin of, you know, um, yeah, pornography, as one Sam brought up, uh, sin of uh, pride, of course, you know? And so there's there's different sins that we come back to, sin of sloth, you know, on, on a regular basis that, uh, depending on where you're at, depending on your age and your maturity, will also have a lot to do with the um, the addictive nature of it, right? And I think that it's important to also identify that just because you're coming back to this sin on a regular basis, um, that that it could just be because of a certain degree of of immaturity, a certain degree of of lack of guidance, right? If you don't have a spiritual director, if maybe you don't have a, a certain um, uh, tool set to how to overcome these different things, right? Because actually that was the one thing really that I wanted to add. What Sam was saying is that there are various paths to overcome addictions, if it is indeed addiction. Um, But there's also various paths to overcome just habitual sins that are not addictions. And in those various paths, you need to seek out and then you need to try them. And when when you see success in a virtue that is overcoming that vice, awesome, continue to pursue forward with it. If you don't, the one thing that I always come back to is re-strategize. Momentum has not set in. Inertia has not set in. That forward mm-hmm. momentum of, of living the life of virtue has not set in. Don't give up. Don't just fall back into it and don't just uh, assume that it's never going to get better because every single one of us on this call have been in these situations and then through the grace of God and through our action within in reliance and in, uh, in tandem, I'm sorry, in, in um working with the grace of God have been able to overcome these things. So anyways, I think what Sam, you just did it's such a great thorough breakdown, but I just wanted to add a couple of those things. Um, Devin, what would you add to, to that? Um, question. Yeah, great stuff. Um, the will of God, the, your will, your will is always operational. Even if it appears to be dormant, you have a will. That will is to be used. Okay. Now, what is that will to do? If you are really in the state of an addiction or on the threshold of it, then there's, there's what I would recommend is get a therapist, get yourself counseling. Okay. And I know. 40 years ago, we would never say that as Catholics, but if it's that bad, you got to get some external help. Make sure you got a good therapist like Sam, Catholic therapist, call up Amen. Sam. Okay. Amen. All right. But here's the deal for freedom. Christ has set you free and in Christ's sacrifice and the grace that he gives is not in vain. And so my recommendation, this is how I've dealt with all of my addictions is daily mass I fight for it. That means I go to the place where I know that grace is going to be given. Now, here's the deal. If I cannot receive the Lord because I'm in a state of mortal sin, then what I do is I go for a blessing because that humiliates me, but I'm also humbling myself, as St. Peter says, under the mighty hand of God, and in due time, he will exalt you. Mm. I truly believe this, that God's grace is sufficient, especially in the sacrament of the altar. Because it's his sacrificial body that's feeding your body in order to conquer your flesh. If you can't receive, fine. Good blessing. The Lord will impart the grace that you need. And over time, if you're committed to this, you really want to defeat it. It's not just like you're, well, I kind of, you know, no. If you're really wanting to defeat it, God will eventually deliver you from this. But as Peter Crave said in a book, a lot of times God hands us over to a sin 
because there's a deeper sin that needs to be eradicated. Mm. And so perhaps, I don't know if it's a sexual sin or if whatever it is, but maybe that sin there, God's allowing it to exist for now because you got to go deeper to allow him to work on pride or something much more heinous, okay, that we don't think is a big deal. But back to Sam's comment in AA, the first rule or the first step is to, I'm powerless. The second step, though, is I turn it over to him who's all powerful, okay? And that's what I mean by keep going to your weekly confession, but go to the same priest. Don't bounce around because Mm. that's pride. Because you're afraid that the priest, I'm sorry, but you're afraid that the priest kill the pride. Go to that same priest. Let him think whatever he wants of you and just keep going. And then keep going up for communion and keep going up for the blessings and and carve away at this with the Lord. Carve away, beat this. And then the other thing I would say, this just came to me, is get with Our Lady and up your prayer with Our Lady. Spend time with Our Lady because she crushes the serpent. And you know, this is very interesting for us men. We don't want to be mama boys because that seems like we're weak. I'm telling you what, this is the strength of the Christian. This is the strength of a real man is he is a mama's boy. Behold your mama. And guess what? She will crush the serpent in your life. That I don't know. That's what's worked for me. And it's been really powerful. And it, I I just believe in it wholeheartedly. Yeah. Sam and I both want to add to this. Go for it, Sam. (laughs) No, I, I love everything that's been said so far. Like, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, the only thing I would throw out is, like, two pitfalls to be aware of in addiction recovery. Number one is the all-or-nothing mentality. Yes. This is the killer of progress. People yeah. say, today I resolve, I will never do this again. And, you know, that that means that um, 10 years from now, I still will never fall in again. Like mm. that, that, that sets you up for failure because when yeah. you do fail, you're, you're going to be crushed. Like so like discouragement is like so high when you set this all or nothing mentality, know that it's a process, know that healing takes time recovery from any addictive behavior, whether you want to call it addiction or habitual sin or like compulsive behavior or whatever, it takes time to heal from that. You know, God can work miracles. Yes. But in most of the time, he doesn't. Why? Because he wants us to do the work. He wants us, and, and, and the, doing the work means you come out the other side way more mature yes. than if God just snapping his fingers and taking it away from you. Like he wants you, he wants to see your effort. He wants to see Trust. that you're striving and striving. So don't get discouraged if you fail again. It's not yeah. the end. Just keep moving forward. Just keep moving forward. Never stop moving forward. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen a, the, the graph of the stock market, you know, there's yeah. like all these little dips and valleys, but the trend is always upward. Like, yeah. let that be you and your recovery is like, there's going to be dips and valleys. That's okay. But as long as the upward okay. trend is there, like give thanks for that, you know, rest in that and like keep striving every day. The second thing I'll say is, um, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to, um, I want, I want to be careful, but be careful of abusing the sacrament of confession, mm. because mm. oftentimes we can make it part of the ritual. 
Yeah. Mm. Where it's like, we're like, oh, I, I don't know. Again, we don't know what this sin is, but like I went and looked at pornography again and then immediately go to confession. And it's really not about repentance. It's about making yourself feel better. Oh, mm. I got my absolution. I'm good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I feel better because you know what? Addiction is fundamentally, if you boil it down to the very simplest thing, it's about mood alteration. It's about, you know, I feel down here. And I really need to feel up here fast. So I'll do whatever it takes to feel up here. Um, and whatever it is, it f- makes you feel better. And like, let's be honest, like there is a sense of relief and like relaxation after confession. Like, oh, I felt all this tension and scrupulosity and then I just feel better. And so be careful of using it as another form of mood alteration. Be sure that that, that contrition is there. You know, and again, there can be imperfect contrition. It can be like, I just don't want to go to hell, you know, <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. it, but but strive for genuine repentance. Like, Lord, I'm sorry that I wounded you again. And and I say this from personal experience, you know, as one of those people that said going to confession multiple times a week, it wasn't driven by genuine contrition a lot of the time. It was driven yeah. by anxiety and trying to escape from that. You know, and what I would encourage you to do is keep going once a week, but I would I would caution against going more than once a week simply because it it's, it's making it part of the ritual um, it, it, of, of like fall, feel better, fall, feel better. And like, and, and, and it's actually not about your relationship with Christ. Sometimes it's more about feeling better. So I don't know if you guys would argue with that, but that's just a caution based on personal experience. No, no I mean, we're, what we're talking about is a relationship with, so, so, um, Yes, I could hear um, opponents to what you would say, say, well, what if he dies in the state of mortal sin? He's going to hell. You know, he's got to get to the confessional. That would be the argument. Well, here's the deal. On the other hand, you could be using God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that is a greater sin is to use God. Yeah, yeah. I just I just need to get this forgiveness from God as though it's an object and it's not God himself. So you said something very important. You said it's about reconciling yourself. I think this is what you said, reconciling yourself with God. That's what it has to be at the heart of it. And so if it's just about getting a, you know, get out of jail free card in a way, I mean, I got to get this off my chest. I got to get free from this. So I, but then I I know I'm going to go back and do it. Well, I think it's good to sometimes, like you're saying, to sit in the pain of the abandon or the fact that we've abandoned the Lord. I think we should sit in the pain of our sin sometimes. Like you think about David after Bathsheba, he fasted for what was it? Uh, How many days was it? Eight days. I can't remember now until the baby, because, because what happened is Bathsheba gave birth to the baby and the baby was sick, ill. And David fasted for the, in hopes that this baby would live. But here, here's what happens. David endures that. He rests in the pain of all that. He doesn't try to control it, but after it's done, he washes up, he gets clean, he eats. Okay. All I'm saying is, is that sometimes we have to sit in that like David did. He had to steep in his own failure. He had to steep in his sin because when you feel it deep enough, eventually the alienation from having a relationship with God is the greater matter and you don't ever want to experience yeah. that again ever. And that's what yeah. that goes to what you're talking about, Devin, of like 
you, you've got, yeah, you got to feel the pain a little bit in the sense of, um, well, you said something to that effect earlier. I can't remember what it was. It was <laughs> yeah. Must've been really that. good resting yeah. in the, <laughs> it yeah. was really good. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and I appreciate both of your, your thoughts and I know that we could continue going on and I, and I want to avoid, uh, trying to presume what your sin is and resolving that, because I think that that's um, a tendency uh, to do. So I think these are all great talking points and and um, springboards for future episodes on these different topics. So I really appreciate it. Now's another great time in the episode. We get to talk about putting on the new man. This is the challenge for each of us men and what we need to be doing this week to grow in holiness and to be the man that God has created you to be. And so our challenge this week is to identify identify three things that you're ashamed of that you're doing on a regular basis. You know what they are. I know you do because we all fall into them, but you're going to actually write down these three things. You're going to identify them. You're going to write them down, and then you're going to figure out what it is that you are doing to resolve those three things that are making you ashamed. Maybe it's that you're staying up too late watching TV and getting too few hours of sleep and your prayer time in the morning suffers. Maybe it is a, a, a sexual sin or something along those lines, but write it down, actually put them down on the paper and then make sure that you also have associated with it. What are you proactively doing to grow in virtue and to overcome these pitfalls or difficulties? It doesn't have to be a great sin. It could just be something that I know that this is something that I would be better if I didn't do this or if instead I was doing this. You know, it can be something like that, but put those down and then write what it is that you're going to be starting effectively tomorrow um, to do better in resolving these issues that you have in your life. Devin, anything that you would add to that for putting on the new man? No. Perfect. That's great. Awesome. Well, my goodness, man, what a great time it has been to speak with all of you and listeners. Thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for much for um, growing and putting on the new man so that you can become the man that God wants you to be. You're in our prayers. The listener who wrote in this question, you are in our prayers. Um, and so I just really want to say thank you for being a part of the Catholic Gentleman. And as we end each and every one of our episodes, be a man, be a saint.